Well, again, good morning, church. It's good to see everyone here today. We're in Matthew chapter 12 this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. We are proud of our graduates. It's, uh, we've watched you girls grow up, and we know God has great things in store for you. And I want you to know that I pray for you continually, all, all the time, and, uh, and I know others do too. And we are proud of you. We know God is going to work through you in mighty ways. Um, Matthew 12. Beginning in verse 1. And the title of the message today is Avoiding Rule-Keeping Religion. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, (coughs) I desire mercy and not sacrifice, You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of him, of it, and let it out. Excuse me. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. There's always a danger in Christianity of turning following Jesus from a wonderful relationship of walking with him who loves us and wants the best for us of turning that into a rule-keeping, burdensome religion. Tulian Javidijan, Billy Graham's grandson, said in an interview a few years ago, The Christian church has sadly not proven to be immune to performancism. Far from it, in recent years, a handful of books have been published urging a more robust, radical, and sacrificial expression of the Christian faith. I even wrote one of them. 
I hardly amen the desire to take one's faith seriously and demonstrate before the watching world a willingness to be more than just Sunday churchgoers. The unintended consequences of this push, however, is that if we're not careful, we can give people the impression that Christianity is first and foremost about the sacrifice we make for Jesus rather than the sacrifices Jesus made for us. Our performance for Him uh, rather than His performance for us. Our obedience for Him rather than His obedience for us. The hub of Christianity is not do something for Jesus. The hub of Christianity is Jesus has done everything for you. I fear that too many people both inside and outside the church have heard the plea for intensified devotion and concluded that the focus of the Christian faith is our love for God instead of God's love for us. There's always a danger as we follow Christ in turning our relationship with Jesus from a wonderful uh, relationship of walking with Him who loves us and wants the best for us into a rule-keeping, burdensome religion. In fact, many people wrongly see Christianity as such a burdensome religion. But it's not. Not in its essence. Not in, its, not in the reality that it is. Jesus' invitation that we read last week, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You see, in Jesus, there is truly rest and peace. Yes, there are times of difficulty as we live in the world and follow him. But even in those times, Jesus is present with us to guide us and to, and, uh, to help us through those difficult times. And so we've got to be careful in our lives as Christians not to turn following Jesus into a difficult and burdensome religion. We've got to be careful about that. I know in my own life, there have been times that I've done that. There have been times that I've, that I've focused on the, on, on the stuff that I think I'm supposed to do instead of focusing on loving Jesus and living for Him. And you, probably you've done that too from time to time in your life. And we all need to realize when that happens to us, it, we, we get, we're getting it wrong. It's not the way it's supposed to be. In chapter 11, Jesus, is, Jesus promised rest to all who come to Him. And in chapter 12... We see the Pharisees, the Pharisees who had made Judaism of their day into a burdensome, difficult, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, wary religion that imposed on the nation of Israel uh, rules, and, and even they were unable to keep or live by them. The legalistic, rule-keeping way of serving God contrasts with the rest and priest peace found in Jesus. <clears throat> From the passage of scripture from God's perfect word, we see this timeless truth. That following Jesus frees us from rule-keeping religion and provides rest and peace for all who believe. Following Jesus frees us from rule-keeping religion and provides rest and peace for all who believe. Can you recognize rule-keeping religion when you see it? Can you, can you recognize it in when it happens in your life, in yourself, and in others? I think there's some signs to it that we can find from this passage of Scripture. First of all, rule-keeping religion causes us to focus on the supposed personal failures of others rather than our own personal need for rest and forgiveness. Rule-keeping religion causes us to focus on the supposed failures of others rather than our own personal need for rest and forgiveness. 
Now, Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field on the Sabbath, and the disciples were hungry. And so they plucked some of the heads of grain from the fields and began to eat them. That was allowed in the, in the law of the Old Testament. If you were hungry and you're walking through a grain field, you could do that when you read the law. But, but they did this not only on a normal day, <coughs> but they did this on the Sabbath. And when the Pharisees saw this, they criticized the disciples to Jesus and said they were breaking the Sabbath. They were doing what was not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, the Pharisees had many oral traditions that prescribed to the minutest detail what you could and what you could not do on the Sabbath, what was allowable and what was unlawful on the Sabbath. There were thousands of these rules, thousands of these rules uh, of what could and could not be done. One example was you could take a Sabbath day journey, which was basically a thousand yards. You could walk a thousand yards from your home. But if you walked more than that, it was considered work. Uh, sometimes they would get around these rules, but they would, in, they would say the boundaries of your home are kind of the boundaries of the city. They had ways of getting around the rules, but they still had these uh, ridiculous kind of rules. Um, and, and it wasn't only about the Sabbath. There was, there was a lot of them having to do with the Sabbath. But it was about all, all keeping all the law of God. They made it burdensome and difficult. And because Jesus' disciples picked the heads of grain, they rubbed it between their hands to get out the edible portion, the Pharisees considered this reaping and preparing food, and they defined this as work. And they condemned Jesus' disciples for such behavior. Now, how did Jesus answer them? Well, he answered them from Scripture. He said, he said, didn't you read about David and his men who were hungry on the Sabbath? They did something seemingly unlawful. Uh, uh, and it was probably on the Sabbath. We don't know that for sure, but it was probably on the Sabbath. Uh, they received and ate the bread that only the priests should eat. And he said, they did this and, and they weren't found guilty of anything. And he talked about the priests. The, pre- the priests work twice as hard. They provide twice as many sacrifices in the temple on the Sabbath. And they are also guiltless. They are also guiltless. Both examples from the scripture show, what, uh, show that David and his men and what the priests did were not breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus was saying to them, your oral law, your wrong interpretation of the scripture that you add to scripture is incorrect. It's not right. They, the, my disciples haven't broken the Sabbath. And these uh, Old Testament examples haven't broken the Sabbath. You are nitpicking and fault finding and you are wrong. You are wrong. And then Jesus told them that they needed to understand that this, what the scripture meant when it said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, it's easy to see the faults in others and overlook your own lovelessness and self-righteousness when that's what you focus on, when you focus on rule keeping. But Jesus really goes further than that. He tells them something greater then the temple is here. He's talking about himself and the kingdom. Something greater and the temple is here. And, and when he said that to them, that he and his kingdom were greater than the temple, Jesus was making quite an audacious claim. Because the temple was the most important uh, landmark 
in their lives. The temple was where they, they thought they met God. And Jesus said he was greater than the temple. It was an audacious claim. And he made that claim. And then he made a second audacious claim. And Jesus said the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. I have the right to determine who keeps it properly and who does not keep it properly. Jesus was claiming deity as he was, and unprecedented authority as he was claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath. Because of their lack of mercy and self-righteousness, they were really unable to stand, understand how to please God and keep the Sabbath. And Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath, and he had the right to determine who kept it and who did not. And basically, you don't find your rest in the Sabbath anymore. You find your rest in Jesus. Now, yes, we all need to rest, and I think the principle of resting. But we're not under the Sabbath like the nation of Israel is under the Sabbath. We set aside the Lord's day to worship Him. But it's, it's, not, it's not exactly the same thing. Because our rest is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. You see, the Pharisees were focused on rule-keeping religion and religious rituals. They thought this would bring them salvation. If they kept these rules, if they did the right rituals, they would come to salvation. But rule-keeping doesn't bring you to salvation. It only causes you to become self-righteous. And it only causes you to look at how others are failing uh, and to, to keep the rules and how you're doing a better job than them, basically, is what it causes you to do. Rule-keeping and religious observance will never bring salvation. It will never bring salvation. Salvation comes only when we come to Jesus and receives the rest and forgiveness that he offers all who will come to him. Rule-keeping religion causes us to focus on the supposed failures of others rather than our own personal need for forgiveness and the rest that we need in Jesus. So that's one way you can recognize rule-keeping religion. But there's a second way that you can recognize rule-keeping religion, and that's this. Rule-keeping religion causes, uh, loses sight of the hurts and needs of people and emphasizes rules and rituals. Rule-keeping religion loses sight of the hurts and needs of people and emphasizes rules and rituals. Now, Jesus entered the synagogue. We don't know if it was that Sabbath or another Sabbath. It seems to indicate it's that Sabbath. And, uh, and as he entered, there was a man there who had a withered hand. And the Pharisees noticed the man there, and they actually pointed uh, this man out to Jesus. You see, the Pharisees, part of their rule said, it's okay to save a life on the Sabbath, but you can't provide medical help to someone unless they need life-saving medical help. Uh, you couldn't heal in a way that could wait until after the Sabbath was over. That was their rule. That's how they interpreted the scripture. That was their oral tradition. And so they were ready to accuse Jesus if he might heal this man in a way where the man's life was not threatened. Jesus knew what they thought and said basically, and, and basically answered their question with a question. Is it right to rescue a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Well, they would have said, yeah, it's a right to rescue a sheep. Jesus then said, how much more value is a man than a sheep? 
And then he said, it's lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. You see, God's commandments, all of them are for human flourishing. They are for our good. They're not meant to enslave us and to keep us in bondage. Elsewhere, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath to enable us to rest and, and, uh, and those connected with us to rest and not to enslave us uh, and worry about whether we're keeping all the nitpicky rules. This man was suffering and had been suffering for quite some time. And their wrong interpretation and wrong interpretation of God's law would have kept this man in his suffering for another day. Jesus would not accept this. Jesus would not accept this. Jesus will not accept that man's interpretation of God's laws keep people in need and in suffering. People are more important than rules and rituals. And so what did he do? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the scripture says the man stretched out his hand and it was restored healthy like the others. You see, Jesus is not nullifying the law of God. If the scripture says he did not come to destroy the law of God and fulfill it. But Jesus is helping us to see that focusing on rules and rituals and thinking any set of rules or rituals or commandments will make you right with God will not make you right with God. Rule-keeping religion only enslaves you. You see, we come to Jesus as he invites us to come to him for forgiveness and freedom and rest. And only in receiving forgiveness by coming to him and resting in him will provide you and I with salvation. Only in coming to Jesus, uh, we see that God's standards are given for our good and for human flourishing. Only in coming to Jesus uh, can we see that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Only in coming to Jesus can we even keep, uh, even begin to keep the standards of God. You see, every person, every person needs our Savior, just like you and I need our Savior. See, they're hurting people all around us, aren't they? Hurting people all around us. Do you see them in their pain? Are we only able to see the trouble they're causing right now? Are we only able to see, well, that's their own fault. That happened to them because they did something stupid back there. Well, you know, I've determined in my life that most of the bad things that happened to me were my fault because I did something stupid back there. But I'm glad God doesn't say to me that it's too bad I'm not going to help you because you did something stupid back there. I'm glad God sees me in my need and my pain and reaches out and helps me and is willing to help me. You know, we look at some of the, you know, Carla works with a lot of troubled children but, you know, Carla has an empathy because she knows not only what happens at school, but she has some kind of understanding that knows what's happening in their lives apart from school. And it helps her to see. When you know the pain that someone has gone through, sometimes it's a lot easier uh, to understand why they might be causing you pain even right now. See, can we see the pain other people are going through? Can we see the pain other people are going through? I preached a revival one time and there was a church that was having a difficulty with, with one lady. She was, just, she was just the holy terror in the church. And they didn't know what to do with her. And, uh, 
And I found out a lot of things about this woman as I worked uh, with his church that week. One thing, she had a son that was going through a terrible, rebellious period in his life. And she had no idea what, how to help him. And I think somehow the church that I was in didn't understand the pain, the suffering, the agony that she was going through because of what her son was going through. They could only see the pain that she was causing the church at that minute. Happens a lot. Can we see people's pain? Can we see their need for the touch of God? Can we see their need to be rescued? You see, only as we are able to see people in our pain uh, and see that they need to be rescued do we realize they need the Savior who has saved us from our sin. Rule-keeping religion loses sight of the hurts and needs of people and emphasizes rules and rituals. But there's another way you can recognize rule-keeping religion. It's this. Rule-keeping religion cares more about defending itself than helping those crushed by life. Now Jesus silenced his critics. There was nothing they could say. But they weren't happy about it. It's not that they, come, they came to agreement with Jesus. In fact, they were so angry that, the, that this passage and the passages, the parallel passages in Mark, say they went out and they, they plotted with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were their arch enemies. They were so mad at Jesus that they plotted with the Herodians how they might destroy him. And it does mean destroy. It does mean kill. They have had all of Jesus they could take. He was undermining everything that they practiced and thought. And, and they, couldn't, uh, they couldn't match up with him intellectually, so they decided to destroy him. Unwilling to see their need for forgiveness, their need to come to Jesus, they wanted to keep on con- focusing on laws and rules and rituals that, that would not make them right with God, and the, and the burdensome law and uh, ritual and their religious works, their hatred of Jesus just grew and grew. And so they plotted to destroy him. How did Jesus respond? Well, it says, aware of this, he withdrew from there. Jesus avoided the conflict. Now that's something that most of us don't like to hear. We like to charge in, you know, hit it head on. And there are times you can avoid the conflict. But basically, if you can avoid the conflict and you should avoid the conflict, avoid the conflict. That is wisdom. It wasn't time for Jesus to die on the cross for us. So he avoided this conflict. And, and then he encouraged others to avoid the conflict. The scripture says many followed Jesus, but Jesus kept up his ministry of preaching and teaching and healing. But when he healed someone, he told them not to tell anyone, not to make his known, because he was trying to put a damper on the conflict. You see, as believers, we ought to be very careful in stirring up unnecessary conflicts. We ought to avoid them if we can. There will be times you can't, and you have to meet something head on. But don't be, the, don't be the bull that rushes into the proverbial china closet. Don't be the one that's always looking. I know Christians, it seems like they're always looking to get in fights and arguments. And they think somehow that's some kind of a good call. It's not a good call. 
Jesus didn't act that way. He avoided it if he could. There were times that he couldn't, and there were times that he's very bold. But I'm telling you, don't look for, for conflict. You know, Jesus wants people to be at peace with him. And we're supposed to be purveyors of peace. You know, we've got to be careful. We, have, we need to be bold. But I'm telling you, sometimes the way Christians present Jesus to others is so offensive. It's just offensive the way they're doing it. Because they're not considering other people and their feelings. They're, 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 uh, they, they think they're there to stir up everything. But no, we, we have to be careful that we are people of peace. And we try to maintain the peace. Yeah, there will be times. There are times you can't avoid it. That's true. But make sure that it is one of those times. Make sure the Lord is leading you to confront someone or talk to someone. Make sure it's not just your anger or your desire to make everything better or to be right. Then Matthew quotes the longest passage of prophetic scripture we find in his gospel. It's one of the suffering suffering service passages. Jesus said, uh, Matthew said Jesus was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus was the servant God had chosen, his beloved with whom his soul is well pleased. And God, I, God the Father, will put my spirit upon him. You recognize that kind of thing? My, my servant and my beloved in whom I'm well pleased, and the spirit came upon him. Does that remind you of Jesus' baptism? Exactly the same thing that happened at Jesus' baptism. Jesus will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, to the nations, to all the nations, not just, not just the nation of Israel. Any person from any people group can be saved and come to Jesus and be a part of his uh, movement of justice. Then it says he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He wasn't going to stir up needless arguments with his detractors. He wasn't going to get into useless arguments with them. But I want you especially to notice verse 20 and 21. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his names the Gentiles will hope. A bruised reed he will not break. A reed, you know, they were all over these marshy areas in Israel, and, you know, if, uh, and, and they're bruised. Maybe they're about ready to be broken, but Jesus is not going to break those bruised reeds. There are people in life... And their life has came, uh, come crushing, crashing down on them. And they're at the point of being crushed and broken. And Jesus is not going to break them. Sometimes rule-keeping religion pushes them over the edge. It pushes them over the edge. Jesus come, does not come to crush and destroy those already almost crushed by life and sin. He comes to strengthen and heal the bruised reed. And then he does not quench a smoldering wick. You know, the candle that's just about to go out. He's not going to quench that candle. He's going to fan into flame the smoldering wick. He's going to bring that fire back to those who are so discouraged by life that, that, it's, that, it, that, the, that love for life is almost gone. Jesus comes to give rest to the weary and the heavy laden. 
Rule-keeping religion crushes, it destroys people uh, who are bruised and whose weeds are almost extinguished. You know, sometimes churches, we don't want to help people in their real struggles. We don't want to help people in their real struggles. In some churches, if you're struggling, you don't want anybody to know. Because it might be an... uh, uh, it might be something they gossip about, but something they will not help you with. Uh, but how can we help each other if we don't let each other know where we're struggling, where we're where are weak, where we're weak, and where we're failing? Uh, we can help each other, and see if if we don't provide that kind of atmosphere where people are willing to share their lives and their struggles. And when we're kind of transparent, we, we share our struggles. If we don't provide that kind of atmosphere, uh, then we shouldn't be surprised when someday a tragedy happens and we, we say, what happened there? You see, it's not the way of Jesus. You see, you don't have to be strong to come to Jesus. You don't have to be strong to be of His people and to come to His people. In fact, we really have to be willing to acknowledge that we don't have it together and that we are weak. We only can find rest in Jesus when we acknowledge that we are weary and heavy laden. Yes, we've got to acknowledge it to Him. And I think we also need to learn to acknowledge that uh, to one another. My son Nate and his wife Robin are planning a church in Draper, Utah. Uh, they just moved into their home. And, uh, and they're looking forward to the next couple years of intensive effort to start a church there. Not only has Nate and Robin, not only are they living out there, um, but Nate has talked to my daughter Jessica and her husband Jesse into moving out there to help them plant this church. I wanted to plant a church in Sun Prairie, but that didn't work out very well. When Nate moved out there, and when they moved out to, uh, to Utah, Nate and Robin, I don't think he planned on staying there. I really don't. But living in Utah gave Nate a concern and a burden for the people of Utah. Most of you know Utah is a place where it's got a kind of a Western independent mindset where you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Utah is a place where works religion is very prominent. But there are less than 3% evangelicals in Utah. I, I think that's 3% of anybody, anybody other than uh, the dominating uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think 3% is, that includes everybody else. Um, Nate has done a video where he tells of the great need for the gospel in Utah. Utah, he says, is one of the leading states in porn consumption. Utah is one of the leading states of people with depression. Utah is one of the leading states of people who have plastic surgery. Utah is the nation's leader in teen suicide. And then Nate says he thinks the real problem is that Utah is a performance-oriented culture, a pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps culture. Because of that culture, it's hard to let people know of the stuff you are struggling with, the stuff you are embarrassed about. And so Nate 
goal, his vision, is to plant a burden-lifting church. A burden-lifting church. You see, Utah needs the gospel of Jesus who gives rest to the weary and the heavy laden. You see, Jesus is a burden-lifting Savior. If, If you're a Christian and you are crushed by being a Christian, you're not getting it right. Jesus is a burden-lifting Savior. And His church needs to be a burden-lifting church. A place where people, those in need, who are bruised, will not be broken. A place where those whose wicks are smoldering will not be extinguished. That's what we need to be as individuals. And that's what we need to be collectively as East Madison Baptist Church. You know, there's enough rule-keeping religion in the world. There's enough. Rule-keeping religion cares more about defending itself than about helping those crushed by life. Tulian Chavitadin reminds us, the hub of Christianity is not do something for Jesus. The hub of Christianity is Jesus has done everything for us. Don't turn following Jesus into a rule-keeping and burdensome religion. Learn to live in the rest that Jesus provides. Don't focus on doing for Jesus. Even when you're blowing it. You ever just had been, there's some kind of sin that seems to have a grip on your life. And you can't seem to overcome it. Oftentimes we focus on that sin and overcoming that specific thing. It's like saying, I'm not going to look at that, I'm not going to look at that, I'm not going to look at that. And then we can look at it. I'm not going to sit on that bench that has the fresh paint sign. And then we, we sit on it. Don't focus on where you're failing, Jesus. Focus on loving Him and, and walking closer with Him and, and living in His rest every single day. Focus on that. You won't overcome sin by focusing on sin. You overcome sin, whatever it is, by focusing on Jesus. Ask God to help you I ask God, we need to ask God to help us to love Him more and more and more. Following Jesus frees us from rule-keeping religion and provides rest and peace for all who believe. Let's pray together. Do you need the rest that Jesus gives? Do you need to know that your sins are forgiven? There's no amount of rules you can keep that will make you right with God. But Jesus will give you His righteousness if you will come to Him. We have a couple of people, Grace Donaldson and David Juline this morning, are going to help people. Uh, If you need to pray with someone, if you need to talk to someone about living in that rest, if you need to talk to someone about following Jesus, if you need to talk to someone uh, about maybe how you've made your faith uh, burdensome and you need to you need to live in that rest they're there to help you this morning they'll be at the bottom of the stairs and they'll be there to help you this morning after uh, as we pray and as we sing our final songs Lord Jesus we love you we thank you for your great love draw us to yourself let us walk with you let us live in the rest that you have Lord when we fail you Help us not to focus so much on our failure, but help us to focus on we need to love you better, we need to love you more.
Lord, we know that you'll forgive us. We thank you for that constant forgiveness. Help us to love you better and to love you more. Help us to live in your rest. Help us to not be people who who quench the wicks, uh, the smoldering wicks, or who bruise, who break a bruised reeds. Help us to be a people where people can lay their burdens down and they can see that Jesus will help them. Oh God, move in our lives in a way that glorifies yourself. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.